Well, good morning. It's good to see you this morning as we finish 1 Peter, number 17 in our series. And uh, so you probably can quote a lot of that, uh, that little bumper there, reminding us about Peter writing. Uh, before we begin, I want to remind you of a few things. Uh, the Women's Walk has been moved to Centennial Park. And also, uh, so you take note of that, ladies, also the Women's Retreat, September 9th and 10th. Marla Henderson, Rich and Marla missionaries uh, that we as a church are able to, to support. She will be the guest speaker. If you have not heard her story, it's an amazing story. And so, ladies, you would need to be at that women's retreat check out in the foyer where you can find out more information and sign up for that also find out more about the walk the baptism this afternoon originally scheduled for three it's going to be at 12:30 at the shannon boat launch so 12:30 for the baptism this afternoon and this saturday we're having a work day at mizpah the camp and so we could use your help. And uh, thank you for those who've signed up already, but uh, we, could, we could definitely use some more. It helps if you sign up so we know how much food to get for lunch. And uh, you know, the, the filet mignon and things like that that we'll have there, you need to, we need to make sure we have enough so uh, you don't lose out on that. So if, if you can come, whether you are a talented carpenter or whether uh, you're like me, there's things for everyone to do and we could use a good crew as we uh, get ready for the fall winter. A lot of groups coming, so we could definitely use your help. So please consider that. Let's pray and ask for God's blessing. Father, as we come before you this morning, may we recognize that you are God. May we be encouraged in Jesus Christ. May we focus on our response to you. Lord, help us to finish strong. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. When you take on a task, you have the goal of finishing strong. Whether it's a course, maybe you're taking a course and, and you, and you want to finish strong. It's a project you have. You want to finish strong. A race that you're in, you want to finish strong. Well, I remember going into my senior year of high school, I, I wanted to, to finish strong, and, and I ran cross country and played basketball, but cross country was in the fall, and so I and, a, and another runner, it was going to be a senior, a friend of mine, we, we determined that the, the year, the summer between our junior and senior years, we were going to work incredibly hard so that we would be ready to go for our senior year across country. And we were gonna run together and, and have set some goals in our, in our training. But we also said, let's, let's sign up for some competitive runs because that sort of you know, puts a little more pressure on. And, and so we, we signed up for a spring run. They call it the Roski Run at MSU. And, and we signed up for the John Coulter Run, which takes place at the headwaters of the Missouri River by Three Forks. And uh, I don't know if you're familiar with John Coulter's story. Anybody familiar with John Coulter's story? So John Coulter was part of the Lewis and Clark expedition. And uh, so he went along with Lewis and Clark out toward the West Coast and through this area here. Obviously, we've seen a lot of Lewis and Clark things around. 
but then he also was an explorer on his own. He went and he, and he explored what we now know as Yellowstone National Park and Grand Teton National Park. And in fact, for a while, it wasn't called Yellowstone National Park at the time. Uh, the nickname for the area that he was describing was called Coulter's Hell, named after him because he was trying to explain to the people all of this geothermal activity that took place around the Yellowstone area. So they called it Coulter's Hell. But another thing that he was famous for was he was captured by the Blackfeet Indians in 1809. He and another, another explorer were together there right by the headwaters of the Missouri. And uh, the other explorer, a guy that had been part of the Lewis and Clark expedition also, he was killed and John Coulter was stripped and given a, about a 400 yard, they say about a 400 yard head start and then the, the Indians chased him. And so he was in what seemed like an impossible situation, but amazingly, he was able to get away and then to hide, and eventually, as a little of the pressure went off, he, he was able to make it to a fort, and he escaped what was, seemed to be sure death. And so they have what they call the John Coulter Run right about the area where he was running from the Indians. Now, we didn't have to run naked or anything like that, but uh, it was a very difficult run, a little over seven miles. And at the end of the run, you have to cross the Gallatin River. And so, you know, that was something, and it was up and down, and it, it was really a difficult run. And so that race was to take place right at the end of the summer, beginning of the school year, as we were preparing for our final cross-country season. So, so Brent and I were, were looking forward to that. We wanted to finish strong. Here in 1 Peter chapter 5, in these last verses... Peter is challenging us to finish strong. Notice what it says beginning in verse 10, 1 Peter chapter 5. It says, But may the God of all grace, who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. To him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. By Silvanus, or Silas, our faithful brother as I considered him, I have written to you briefly, exhorting and testifying that this is the true grace of God in which you stand. She who is in Babylon, elect together with you, greets you, and so does Mark, my son. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace to you all who are in Christ Jesus. Amen. Peter is challenging us, his readers, to finish strong. He wants to encourage us, the original recipients there in Asia Minor in the first century, but also us in the 21st century. He had just got done speaking about the power of Satan. If you remember from last week, verses 8 and 9 of 1 Peter chapter 5, that Satan is a roaring lion, walks about seeking whom he may devour. And now as he's closing this letter, you can, you can just feel his heart as he is he's reaching out to these people who are going to go through some amazing suffering and were facing some adversity under the reign of Nero in the Roman Empire just after 60 A.D. And so he begins verse 10 by reminding them of God's grace. 
says there in the beginning of verse 10, but may the God of all grace. Now it's interesting, Peter could have substituted many other words for grace in this verse, words that describe the character of God. He could have written, may the God of all holiness or God, the God of all justice or truth or, or many, many other words that describe God's character. But he chose the word grace. Peter wants to remind us that everything we have is due to God's grace. A very simple but powerful definition of grace is this, unmerited favor. What we don't deserve, but God has given to us. I've also seen an acrostic of the word grace. It reminds us of God's amazing grace, G-R-A-C-E, God's riches at Christ's expense. Throughout the letter, Peter has been writing of God's grace. He's been talking about the suffering that they were going to be and were and, and were going to continue to face, the adversity, the persecution. But through it all, he wanted to remind them of God's unfailing grace. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 10, Peter says, Of this salvation the prophets have inquired and searched carefully who prophesied of the grace that would come to you. Our salvation is only available through God's grace. It's not by any works that we do. Titus chapter 3 and verse 5 says, Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy He saved us. Probably the most familiar grace passage, Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, For by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. It's not due to the works that we do. It's only available through God's grace. Salvation through Christ by grace. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 3 says, If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. And a, a question that Peter gives with the obvious answer, yes, the Lord is gracious. We can see the grace of God evidenced throughout our life. He is a gracious God. Even in the midst of adversity, we can recognize that He is a gracious God. 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 10, As each one of you has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. God's grace has allowed us the ability to serve and to encourage one another. It's by His grace that He has equipped us to do that. There are many others. In fact, eight times in this short letter, Peter focuses on God's grace in our lives. We can see a strong contrast between law and grace. So we look back to the Old Testament law originally given by Moses, the law that, that the Israelites were to follow to demonstrate their faith, but the focus of Scripture is toward the grace of God, the law given by Moses, the grace available through Jesus Christ. We see that under the law, God demanded righteousness. Under grace, God gives righteousness to man. Under the law, our righteousness is based upon our good works. Under grace, our righteousness is provided by Christ's good work. Work that He performed on the cross. 
Under the law, our one sin makes us a sinner. Under grace, all of our sin is covered by our Savior. God deals with us in His grace. We are not examined through the lens of what we deserve, but instead we are examined through the lens of what Jesus Christ did. The grace of God. And so Peter here says, the God of all grace. In the midst of the struggles that his readers were going through, in the midst of the struggles that we may be facing, he is still a God of grace. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 21 says this, For He, God, made Him, Christ, who knew no sin, to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. Jesus Christ took our place, took our deserved punishment as He died on the cross for us, and that in accepting that gift of salvation, we can be deemed righteous, not because of what we do, but because of what Christ has done. So Peter begins this closing by reminding us of the grace of God, a reminder that he has been bringing over and over and over throughout this short letter, the God of all grace. But he continues on. He wants them to finish strong and he reminds them of his grace, but he continues on and he reminds them of a a contrast or a comparison between God's glory and our suffering. Verse 10 continues, who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus after you have suffered a while. Challenging us to focus on our future glory. When if you're in athletics, if you're a runner, you're, you're reminded to focus on the end, to focus your goal of the finish. Peter was reminding us to focus on the end. To see that we could focus on the eternal glory that God has for us. This glory only possible through Christ. He wants us to see beyond the pain, to see beyond our circumstances, to see beyond the struggles that we may be facing and focus on the glory to which we're promised as followers of Christ. The glory is eternal and the suffering is for a while. He said, the eternal glory, though you may suffer for a time or a while. Back in chapter 1, Peter referred to the fact that the suffering would be temporary. He says in 1 Peter 1.6, In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials. Notice a few things that Peter brings out in that verse. First of all, we can rejoice. And if you look at the verses before verse 6 of chapter 1 and the verses after, Peter's reminding us of the amazing position we have in Christ and the hope of glory that we have in Him. And so we can rejoice even though we may be currently suffering. And then he goes on there to says, now for a little while, just as he said here in chapter 5, you've been grieved by various trials. The suffering is temporary. But our faith will not perish. Our hope of salvation is eternal in Christ. 
2 Corinthians chapter 4, the Apostle Paul reminds us of this contrast between the, the suffering or the affliction we face and the glory that we look forward to. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17 is, is sort of the key of the paragraph, but let's begin in verse 16. It says, therefore we do not lose heart. Comparing it back to the race if you lose heart in a race, you will fail miserably. We used to have what we called the will kill. And what you were to do is, is when you were passing another runner, you were to run by them and you were to speed up and go by them quickly and you were to act like you had no pain, that you were just out for, for a nice afternoon jog. You could be really in great pain wanting to quit, but you couldn't let them know that. And, and you'd run by them. They call it the will kill because that person that you ran by would, would see you running by with seemingly little effort and they're saying, there's no way. I quit. And what, what they really encouraged us to do is, is to get a teammate and you both go by the guy at the same time. And so it's like stereo. I quit, I quit because they're blowing me away. Now, I wish I would have been able to be the person that was causing the other person to quit, but I seemed to always be the one that was being will-killed, not the one that was will-killing. <laughs> but here Paul is saying in 2 Corinthians, do not lose heart. Even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. The struggles that we face in our physical body may seem large, but inwardly we're being renewed day by day. And then verse 17, for our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Let's stop there for a minute. Notice the description of the affliction. Two, two parts to the description. It's light and it's momentary. Now you may be in the midst of a really hard time and you're saying it's not light, it's heavy, and it seems like it's going on for time after time after time. It just never seems to end. But in comparison to the eternal weight of glory, it's light and momentary. And then he continues in verse 18. says, while we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. The things that are seen, the circumstances that we're facing, the adversity that's right in front of us, the giant that's standing there. The things that are seen, but we need to focus on the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. We must recognize the hardships but focus on the glory. The original recipients of Peter's letter there in the first century A.D. were facing the wrath of the tyrannical Nero. But Peter was saying, listen, finish strong. Remember God's grace. Remember your future glory. We will face adversity, but we must look to Christ. We must stand firm. Job from the Old Testament recognized that there would be hardship when he was speaking to his wife in Job 2. And you have to understand what had been taking place. Job, a very wealthy rancher, 
But in a matter of a very, very, very short period of time, he lost his flocks and his herds, his income. He lost many of his family members, his children, and he lost his health. But notice what he says to his wife in Job chapter 2 in verse 10. It says this, But he, Job, said to her, his wife, You speak as one of the foolish women speaks. Now we're going to stop there for a second. This is not a great marriage passage. (laughs) Guys, not a good way to introduce a difficult discussion. Honey, you're talking foolish here. But he said it. You speak as one of the foolish women speaks. Now let's see what he says. Shall we indeed accept good from God and shall we not accept adversity? In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. Throughout the book of Job, if you read that book, his wife and his friends were telling him, listen, Job, just curse God and die. It's miserable. What did you do? You must have really messed up. Just just turn your back on God. But Job said, listen, God's still God in the midst of the good and the midst of the bad. He doesn't change from being God. Later on, Job says, even if I die, I will not curse God. We need to recognize that our circumstances may be difficult, but God is still God. To properly respond to adversity, we need to recognize the eternal glory that we have in Christ. To look past the current circumstances to see the future glory. But we also need to recognize that the work that God is doing in the midst of the circumstances. And we see that as Peter continues on in verse 10. We see God's work. He says that God is to perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. God uses the hard things in our lives to strengthen us. Those four words that Peter used to describe God's work. Perfect means to mature, establish, to fix firmly, to strengthen, to simply to give strength or to settle, to lay a foundation. God is doing all those things in our lives through the adversity that we may be facing. James chapter 1 reminds us that our trials uh, provide maturity. The trying of your faith brings patience. Romans chapter 8, verse 28 tells us that all things work together for good to those who love God who are the called according to His purpose. All things, the good and the bad, God can use those to mature us, to strengthen us. And then He comes to the benediction in verse 11. And it sort of just seems to be like, okay, Peter's stopping and now he's starting another subject. Okay, I'm I'm just encouraged grace and you need to look to the eternity, look to the finish line, don't get caught up in all the circumstances around you. Look ahead, remember the circumstances are temporary. The glory and the goal is eternal. God's working. And then the benediction. Verse 11, to him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. But that fits in what Peter's been continually talking about. God is the one who is in control. He is the one who's to receive the glory. He is the one who has the dominion both now and forever. He is the one who is to be praised. 
And in reminding of our, ourselves of that, we need to recognize this fact. When looking back, we will see that God was justified in all that He has done. When we're in the midst of the struggle, when the adversity seems to be sweeping us away, we, can, we maybe can't see that God is working. But if we'd be able to step back and look and see what God is doing, we would recognize that He is in control and that He's justified in everything that He has done. We sing the song about God never stops working. And, and the, the chorus goes, even when we don't see it, He's working. Even when we don't feel it, He's working. He never stops working. And so we can praise Him even in the most difficult of times because He is the one who should receive glory and He is the one who has dominion forever and ever. Amen. He is the one who is in control and we must trust Him. And then he concludes in verses 12 through 14 with two examples. Now again, as we look through, and, and if you're like me, when you read, we call them epistles. It simply means a letter. And when we read these New Testament epistles or New Testament letters, most written by Paul, but also Peter and John, and, and we see that when we get to the end, we sort of just skim the last little bit because, okay, he's, he's been talking about all these things, or whichever, whoever the author is, and, and all these important things in our life, our position in Christ and our response to Christ. And then we get to the end and we and we skim through the names of the people and it's sort of like you know when you when you talk to somebody or write a letter hey my family says hi to your family you know a nice thing and you just sort of throw it out and, and do you ever go home and say oh by the way so and so and and their family said hi usually we don't do it do we it's just sort of a thing you just throw in right <laughs> well there's a lot to this and so we see in these last verses, verses 12 through 14, that, that Peter shares two examples of faithfulness. Beginning in verse 12, it says, by Silvanus. And Silvanus is another more formal name of Silas. You may be more familiar with that name. But by Silvanus or Silas, our faithful brother as I consider him, I have written to you briefly, exhorting and testifying that this is the true grace. Huh, there's that word grace again. The true grace of God in which you stand. Stand firm. She who is in Babylon, elect together with you, greets you, and so does Mark, my son. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace to you all who are in Christ Jesus. Amen. Who are these two people that Peter mentions by name? The first one is Silvanus or Silas. He's called a faithful servant. Notice what he says. By Silvanus or Silas, our faithful brother, as I consider him. So what he was known for, his faithfulness. Well, who is this Silas? Well, we see in the book of Acts, he came alongside and he helped Paul the Apostle Paul, and he actually went on some of Paul's missionary trips with him. But it's interesting, as Paul received the attention, Silas worked evidently mainly behind the scenes. Isn't it hard to be the one that isn't noticed? Have you ever worked on a project 
and you do a ton of the work, but your workmate's the one who gets recognized, it's not easy, is it? But that's who Silas was. He was the faithful assistant. But Silas was important, just as Paul was important. And Silas had responsibilities just as Paul had responsibilities. And God had gifted Silas just as he had gifted Paul, just in different ways, but both vital to the ministry. And you may be here this morning and you say, you know, I'm not noticed. You sort of feel like Eeyore, right? (laughs) No one notices me. When you talk, you may feel like that you're the teacher on peanuts. Wah, 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 right? Nobody notices. Nobody hears. But God, if you're a follower of Christ, God has given you gifts and abilities to use for His glory. And your responsibility is vital for the work of the kingdom of God, whether you're standing in the front or working, in behind, or working behind the scenes. And what a statement about this guy, Silas. Silas, our faithful brother. God is looking for our faithfulness. Silas was faithful in his work. And then we see the second person mentioned. His name was Mark or John Mark. Again, sometimes in Scripture he's he's called John Mark, sometimes just Mark. But John Mark was the one who was given a second chance. Now, as we see uh, John Mark mentioned in the Gospels and in Acts, it's not in a good light. In the Gospels, specifically the Gospel of Mark, John Mark most believe that, that he was the young man who fled naked when Jesus was facing his trials before the crucifixion. He was sort of like John Coulter, but uh, he just, uh, he ran naked Why he wanted to get away because he thought he was going to be in trouble and he was going to be punished along with Jesus. He was afraid to stand with his Savior. So we see that little glimpse of him. (laughs) Fortunately, since he was naked, probably a very brief glimpse of him. But then we get to the book of Acts and we find John Mark mentioned again. Paul and Barnabas. We're going on a missionary trip, a missionary journey. And so they take this guy who happened to be Barnabas' cousin. His name was John Mark, the same guy. And they take him on this trip. And partway through the trip, John Mark quits and leaves. Strike two. So Paul and Barnabas finish their trip. They go back to Antioch, they're sort of their, their home base, and, and they're going to go on another trip. And Barnabas says, let's take John Mark, and Paul says, over my dead body. And so the, the argument was so contentious that, that Paul and Barnabas parted ways, and Barnabas took John Mark, and Paul took a guy named Silas to go with him. And so Paul and and Silas go on and their their work continues on described in the book of Acts and Barnabas takes John Mark, his reclamation project. 
But as Barnabas poured his life into John Mark, and as we see here in 1 Peter chapter 5, Peter calls John Mark his spiritual son. He was his mentor also. As they poured their lives into John Mark, John Mark stepped up to become faithful. In fact, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, we see an amazing description or statement that Paul makes about this John Mark. So Paul in 2 Timothy, he's just about ready to die. He knows he's going to be martyred for the faith in, a very, in the very near future. And he is basically, it's him and Luke. Some of the other guys that had been working with Paul were out in various areas working in churches and in, in spreading the gospel. Some of the other ones that had been with Paul left And so Paul is there, and it's just him and Luke, and it's got to be a very discouraging time knowing he is facing death. And notice what Paul says. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, he says, verse 11, Only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is useful to me in ministry. The guy that failed that Paul said, you can't trust him. He's going to run when the going gets hard. He had turned into a faithful servant just like Silas. In fact, to the point when Paul desperately needed to come some, for someone to come alongside and stand with him, guess who he called for? Mark, John Mark. You may be here this morning and you may say, you know, John, I, I failed over and over. It seems like whenever I attempt to step out for God, I always quit. I always fail. Guess what? God's not given up on you. And he wants to use you. And just like John Mark, even after failure after failure, you can step up and be faithful. So these two examples, these two guys, Silas, all he was was faithful, and John Mark, the one who blew it and blew it, but finally stood. God wants us to be faithful. So here is Peter concluding this letter, knowing that many of the people that he is going to be writing to are going to face incredible adversity, persecution, possibly even death for their faith. And he says, stand firm. How can we do that? In the grace, because we serve the God of all grace. And we need to remember God's grace even in the midst of our adversity. Also, to recognize and keep our focus on the eternal future rather than the momentary affliction. Recognizing that God is working in us even in the adversity. And that God simply calls us to be faithful. And we can finish strong. Well, Maybe one or two of you ever want, may be wondering whatever happened in the John Coulter run, right? 1981, I tried to look it up. 
didn't have anything about the 1981 John Coulter run, but I remember it started with a flaming arrow. That was your starter's gun. They shot a flaming arrow up into the air. And then you ran a little over seven miles up and down. They said, beware of rattlesnakes. A lot of snakes around there. They had dead cow bones laying along the side and said, one of last year's runners, a little sign by it. You know, they tried to play with your mind. Well, I had a little issue, you see, because as that summer went on, I mean, it was sort of like my, my final summer going into my senior year, and there were lots of things. I was trying to, to earn money to go to college the next year after that, and I had friends that we wanted to hang out and do things. There were fish that needed to be caught. There were lots of stuff that needed to be done. And, and what seemed to be going down my list, even though I started out with good intentions, was my training. And so about two weeks before the race, I, I realized, you know what, I better get serious about this. And I tried to, but I was not prepared. So the race began, and I started out pretty good. have to admit it. I mean, truth isn't pride. Hold on, the story's not over. I'll be laughing at me pretty quick. So I was going along, but all of a sudden they call it the, the wall or the runner's wall, and I hit it, and it was thick. And it got so bad that partway through the race, I even began to walk, and I never wanted to walk in a running race. And people started to pass me. I was never in the very front, but I was up there. But people started to pass me. More and more people started to pass me. And I noticed the people that started to pass me were getting older and older. <laughs> in fact, pretty soon, elderly ladies were passing me. They were doing the will kills. And I was being killed. Finally, mercifully, I came to the edge of the river. More people were passing me. And I noticed that, that there was a line of people just downstream a little ways, all just standing all across the river. I wonder what they're there for. And so I started in the river, and you want to angle a little upstream, you know, because there was a pretty good current there in the river. And so I started, and pretty soon I was right next to those people that were standing downstream because I didn't have the energy to get across. And, and finally, I made it across, and more people passed me. And I had, you know, 100 or 200 yards to the finish line, and I uh, tried to pretend like I was doing well, but I was miserable. And I'm so happy to announce, if you go online at least, I couldn't find the race results of the 1981 John Coulter run. I'm very happy. I hope that they're sealed <laughs> and never to be seen again, top secret. You know, I think I finished in the top five if I would have been in the 70 to 80 year old women category. <laughs> Not sure. But I didn't finish strong. Why? Because I wasn't prepared for the race. Peter's telling us, listen, 
God's grace, His work, His glory, just be faithful. And we can finish strong. Let's pray. Father, thanks for Your goodness. Thank You that as Almighty God, You love us even when we mess up. Even when we fall. Lord, I pray that You would help us today to stand firm, to finish strong. Lord, I know many in this room and watching online are going through incredible adversity. I pray that You would help them to see Your grace, Your comfort, and Your strength. And Lord, help each one of us to look to You and help us to stand firm. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.